0: Hi, I'm Jim, and I'm David, and this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast, the podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Hi, I'm David. I'm Jim.
1: I'm Don Falk.
2: And Don is here with us. He is a uh, recording musician um and previously had uh released some music back in the uh back in the 80s um and uh had a record deal so we brought don in to talk to us about some of the stuff that he's doing now did then and some of his stories of the road which
0: I, those are the I, best that's a, what i'm waiting, waiting for I'm already <laughs> that's what i'm waiting for that's my favorite part so uh <laughs> As everybody who listens to the show regularly knows, we do housekeeping. And if you don't, this is aimed at you anyway. So uh, are you a regular listener? Why not? Subscribe to the Practical Guitarist using your chosen podcast app. Take the time to put in a review with the service where you found our podcast, like iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Get involved. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com groups practicalguitarist practical guitarist. You can also find us on Twitter at as at Practic Guitarist. If you're interested in supporting the show, we have launched a Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. If you'd like to reach out to us directly, you can do so at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Yeah. So no yeah. mistakes this time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's pretty good. One more time. You're going to have that memorized soon. <laughs> I man. work
0: really hard on this thing. Like it, it, every week it's, it's pretty hard. Well, he's <laughs> adding
2: stuff all the time too, because we just added the Threadless store last week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so don uh right, well jim what, what do you want what do you want to ask first what do you want to find well, out? well i'm gonna ask don you know so you're you're locally from north carolina area oh, virginia yeah virginia oh southern
2: you're originally virginia. from southern yeah, oh, virginia. oh, yeah. oh yeah? yeah and so uh his sister's over here recording us by the way karen hi karen hi <laughs> and um so uh, the, the questions might get a little bit, you know. The answers, I don't know. He's, he can make those decisions with his system. Yeah. Here. So, um, cool. <laughs> so, just um, uh, briefly, um, how did you get started with music, and
1: how did you? Uh... Well, our mother was a singer, and the kind of got paid, not just you know singers. She sure. actually sang for money. So we had a piano in the house, mm-hmm. and I don't know where this thing came from. But in the closet in my bedroom, when I was a little kid, there was a wire recorder. And if you don't know what a wire recorder, you know what one of those is? Yeah, are? I haven't seen those. A one. lot of people don't know what you're talking about, but it's like a tape recorder, but it's yeah. wire. Right. And it was this old thing, and it had the little square mic, and you push the button on the side, and the thing would break, and you tie a knot, you know? Yeah. And, and like this thing was like, I thought it was so much fun to play with. Yeah. Say, right? So then my mother had this harmony ukulele, which I still have, and it still plays. And I had this little black plastic radio, right? And I used to sit there and bang on this ukulele and play along with the crap that was on the radio and break wires and tie knots and all this. <laughs> and that's how I became a recording engineer. <laughs> you know? And uh, I, I, I'm not kidding you. I really got the bug from that because I'm going like, man, I can make noise and then listen to the noise I made, right? Play it back and and it was like I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. So that's kind of I didn't just get into music. I got into recording right away. Yeah, right away. And then, you know, as time went on, I, I made a deal with my mom that if she bought me a guitar because I didn't want to play ukulele you right a ukulele player. That's not cool. <laughs> uh, I would buy her a diamond watch if she bought me a, a guitar, which she did. And I did buy her a diamond watch somewhere down the road around in the 80s. Yeah, wasn't really all that much money. but It's the thought that counts. For. Right. Cool. Uh, so that's kind of what got me into it and then some friends of mine uh, started a band and they didn't have a bass player. So if I wanted to be in the band, I had to play bass and I didn't have a bass so I just played the bottom four string. <laughs> yeah, that's what a lot of us did on the guitar. And I remember our very first gig, we had one amplifier, which was a silver tone okay sears right <laughs> yeah and and everybody's about it tell yeah. us how much you love yeah. that Did silver, you love silver toes,
3: silver toes? It, was, it
1: was
0: the greatest thing
1: in the world because it was an amp
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> can, can you believe can you believe people are like like seeking those things out now
1: yeah man they're worth like a ton of money yeah
0: they
1: just kept everything we had if back then we'd be rich i mean all this stuff that we thought was just crap <laughs> And, and it turns out it's good stuff. So yeah, our first gig, I think we knew like five songs. Everybody plugged into one amp. Yep. We had a drummer and we played at a party, like a private party. Uh-huh. And so we just played the same five songs. But see back then, if you had any kind of band, and I mean this goes like to the big league level too, any kind of band was a big deal yep. back then. And, and when a band would come to town, that was a big deal. You yeah. never saw a lot of live music. Like now, it's no big deal. Right. right. But back then, it was a big deal. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got into it. And we were lucky. I was telling Jim last week, we went to lunch. And, uh, you know, we actually put a pretty good little band together. And we saved our money up. And we went over to Norfolk and we rented a studio. And it was a four track. Oh, wow. <laughs> four tracks. On four tracks. Wow. And they had, <laughs> better to do. They had a tile with the holes in it. And then then the guy who was the engineer had a, a a white shirt and a tie. And it was like, you know, you felt like it was like a science lab. And you go in and there's this whole four tracks. And we never seen anything like that before, ever. It was like it just blew us away. So we made a record, and we used to sell these records at gigs and plug, even though there's no money in it for me this record is on youtube somebody put this record on youtube really it's it's by the night lighters n-i-t-e lighters l-i-t-e-r-s and the a side was a a song called harlem shuffle which you may have heard the rolling stones do and if you listen to their version and you listen to our record you'll see that they it's almost a note for note lift the B side was a song I wrote called Set Me Free. Now, the A side, well, let me back up. We we took the record to the local radio station. This is how stupid we were, right? We took the record to the local radio station, and we knock on the door, and the guy opens the door and say, Mr. DJ, would you listen to our record and play it on the radio, please? And he did.
0: <laughs> now, nowadays, you have to give a bunch of money, too. <laughs> so, we didn't give him any cocaine or anything. Yeah, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we, next thing you know, we're on the radio. So these bands would come to town, and they, back then, for people who haven't been around this long, they didn't have anvil cases, they didn't have right. all this gear that travel. they just put these guys on a plane with their guitar, and what they would do is the local radio station would, would get a band a local band that had a lot of them couldn't and have them open for the the big band right and they would use their john their their silver tone yep. amps <laughs> and their homemade crap whatever they had laying around no. so they didn't have to carry them right so we you know we got to play with the uh the, the yard birds with when jeff beck was playing with them so i got to sit in a dressing room with jeff beck
3: that's and incredible.
1: the animals eric Bird. up You know, and the Beach Boys, Glenn Campbell, and and, uh, Jimmy Clanton, you know, and all these different people that were on the radio um, because of that record. They wouldn't play Harlem Shuffle because one of the lyrics was, shake a tail feather. Can you believe that? Now, was that AM radio or FM radio? radio. That was AM radio. W-G-H. Oh, yeah. AM something or another. (laughs) another. Uh, It was mid-60s, maybe 65, 66, something like that.
2: I yeah. was a baby. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So just just from that
2: perspective. Now now you know know what I don't even like a thought. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, Gene Loving was the, the disc jockey. I don't know if he's still alive or dead. But um, anyway, for anyone who's interested in the music business, uh, I think that's a pretty cool story because there is no way in hell. You can do anything, even remotely like that now. No, nope. you can't walk up to a radio station and knock on the door and say, "Hey, Mr. DJ, would you please play my record?" Yeah, no, so anyway, no. they played my song a lot because they wouldn't play the other side because yeah. of the lyric. Because "Shake a Tail Feather" was considered like blasphemy yeah. on AM radio. That oh yeah, I,
2: I remember because the Rolling Stones were told they could not say "Make My Girl" on yeah. um, one of the TV shows. And uh, what was the one that, that the Beatles um uh, Sullivan opened? What was that? Ed Sullivan. Yeah. Yeah. And so um he was told not to do that. He said he said it. He said the words because they would sing the tracks
3: back then.
1: And look at Elvis, you know, they would only huh? shoot him from the waist, waist up, up and all that stuff. So it was, you know, it's just a different time back then and um, I don't think I don't know if people can appreciate it or not, but I, I think it's interesting to to to, to look back at how the, the music business itself yeah. has changed. Now it's mostly clear channel. That's what I was going to say, Yeah. And they, I mean, they, it's a, it's the music a robot, team. it's yeah. just a robot. They put the local crap in there and it's all pre-programmed out of Texas. And yep. you know, I mean, look what they did to the Dixie Chicks. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's so bad. It's just so bad now. And there's no more record companies like there used to be. We were lucky because when I went to college, um, we started working with, in Nashville. We didn't really go to college much. We were actually <laughs> enrolled in college but we, were, <laughs> we weren't there a lot. Uh, <laughs> we used to hop over to Nashville and we were, we were recording with a guy named Don Tweedy who was really famous at the time. And yeah, you know, i heard that right? name. Remember him? Yeah. Uh, we worked in his studio and then we got, a, we got a record deal with Bell Records in New York. Bob Lifton was the engineer he was the guy that did saturday night live yeah and and we were being produced by dale lecca and uh what was the other guy's name um, shoot i can't think of his name the guys that did steam na 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 yeah hey yeah yep. those guys were our producers and wow. it was the first time i ever saw a 16 track studio wow and i thought i died
3: <laughs> and went
1: to heaven because this I isn't never, real <laughs> It was like, I mean, you got to, you know, it's hard to put yourself in that mindset to think back. Like this was something really new, you know, and really a big deal. Yeah. When you, when you think
2: about the fact that kids who were born in the eighties grew up in the nineties, that was when digital media started. That was really the beginning of what we have now unlimited tracks. And yet when you were talking about the four chain, the four track, that was was a a huge huge deal. Remember we had one or two, you had bounce, yeah, bounce, yeah bounce, 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 a lot, yeah. and a yeah. lot of cutting and taping, literally yeah. taping the tape. Oh, and just... like you are talking about wire, you would have to sit there and put the wire together. Oh yeah, it was it was crazy, you know. And there yeah. are people that there are pedal builders um, who use that wire recording technology for uh, looping.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, so my perspective on this whole thing is like, obviously, we have changed technologies a lot. I think it is I think it is cheapened to the way that we make music uh, both financially and also artistically. Um mm-hmm. I think to be able to sit down with you know some of those recordings from like Motown and stuff that are like basically done on an 8 track and you're sitting right. there thinking like they only had 8 tracks to work with. I mean what uh, I think is even Bohemian Rhapsody was done on 8 tracks if yeah. if I recall because it was done at yeah. Abbey Road. Uh it might have yeah. been the first 16 track studio that they that they were in on that one but uh, at that time like you know, you're stacking stuff, and like you have to be right. creative with what you're doing, and and it helps you like through the editing process of understanding what should be there and what shouldn't. But today, right. if you listen to some of this stuff, and you got you know 24 tracks of vocals, and you're going, is this even necessary? Right. And that's been going on. I mean, really, since the birth of digital recording. If you go back to Yes uh, 90215, I think it is where they where there there's some songs on there where there's like just insane amounts of vocal harmony going on, and yep. it you just couldn't have done that. He couldn't have.
1: Well, those people now, I meet them all the time, you know, and, and, and you start talking about tape and they kind of look at you with this look like, huh? You know, oh Dale Frazier, that was his name. Um, and, and a funny story about that studio Bell Records, we actually had a record deal. The name of the band, that band was called Days End, And I remember we were out in the studio and uh, we, I mean, you know, we were coming from Virginia, North Carolina, you know, kind of roots, and uh, our drummer. For some reason, thought it would be funny to put acid in the wine, so and not tell
3: anybody. So we're,
1: we're here. Drinking. We go now. The stories are good. <laughs> so we're drinking wine and we're singing, right? And and they kept saying, "Come in, come in." And we go, "Why? That was good." So we go in, and they would and they would play it, and and they had doubles back there. They go back out, and we go, "Huh?" <laughs> we go back out and sing it again. Why? 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 <laughs> you know, why there's a bird. And. Uh, and and, and, and we go back and hey, listen to this and it's like you know now we got like three takes on a yeah. background vocal and it's like now the acid's really hitting us right yep. And it's like all at once all this stuff kind of came home right <laughs> and i mean we were just like blown away it was unbelievable and that was our first experience with 16 track so i mean you know then it was on to uh cbs records yep. and we got a deal with cbs and we were recording at cbs in new york in manhattan and the drummer, Sam, yep. this guy, right? he's <laughs> is got he still a, around. Oh, I, I don't know. He's got a friend named Chase, right. who carries around a tank of nitrous oxide. Oh, and that. no. It stands, <laughs> it stands behind buses when he runs out of stuff, you know, tank, right? Oh, oh, no. So he thought, well, wouldn't it be funny to tell these guys that this is cocaine, but it's really acid. And so we've got a gig <laughs> for, the, for the CBS promotion team to promote our record. <laughs> we got a band that's to been together 11 days.
0: <laughs> You're going to be <laughs> showcasing on, on acid.
1: And we just snorted all this stuff. It never occurred to us that it might be something else. So we're up on stage, and we're in front of all the people that are going to promote this record for us, right? And we're up there, and we count off
3: two, three, four. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing was turned on. Oh, no. <laughs>
1: so the drummer does a solo right the guy that provided all this man, <laughs> does a solo and that was our debut but uh, i kind of wonder sometimes that maybe they did not promote our record because of that but yeah. um anyways, oh, I, whatever, so, I mean we'll give me that idea I, I, I ended up in you know in the big leagues at cbs and then we quit and started our own label and we recorded a, a, an album that got us to los angeles on united artists they bought uh, an existing album that we did or, Ourselves and we recorded it in quadraphonic discrete sound that you could only play on a 4 cha- track deck. Right, right. So only audiophiles could listen to it. And we, we marketed this thing in Stereo Review and High Fidelity Magazine. Yep. This guy happened to see the thing. He, he worked with Elton John a lot of different people, liked our record, put a deal together with the United Artists to buy us out. And off we went, we moved to Los Angeles. And that's how I ended up in LA. I've been kind of stuck there ever since. But that was my road to the real music business starting in high school, or actually starting with a little water recorder and ending up in LA on a major label and the the fun and and stuff in between all that was it's just too much to even really those are the highlights (laughs)
3: so
1: So the technology obviously well you know you know where we're at now
0: Um, yeah it's it's limitless I mean
1: I mean people still talk about that they're like
2: yeah I take I videotape that or I video that and it's like yeah but we didn't really tape anything. We, we haven't taped tape. anything in years, right. even, no tape. even now. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think it's been over decades since I put anything on. There's no tape
1: anymore. Tape. But it's it's kind of fun because you know I mean obviously we everybody, you know, everybody's got a computer and everybody's recording on a computer in some configuration or another. And, uh, the good news is that anybody can make a really high quality record. The bad news is anybody can make a really good. I know. Yeah, exactly you know what the bad news
0: is i'm guilty of this there's one <laughs> i want to say this
2: there's a, there's one word you've said in there and that's 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 important can they don't most of the time yeah.
0: but no they, actually that's it, the it, truth it, most people <laughs> who are doing that like you see their recordings later and you're like you got all this technology in the palm of your hand and you made that yep yeah, you've got tens of thousands, of, you know, the
2: thing is that back when you were doing this and you were doing it early, that recording studio would have cost a ton of money. Oh, yeah. And the, yeah. And the engineers back then, you know, because you had you started with the wire, you had to know something about electricity and electronics oh, yeah. to be able to do your stuff. I can remember pulling apart an 8-track and, and having to, you know, solve problems or pulling apart my wire amp, or I mean my, uh, my um, Silvertone and having to figure out what was wrong. But nowadays there's like big warning labels because people are killing themselves and shocking themselves because they can't figure it out. Or maybe they did back when we were young, we just didn't know them because they died too soon. I don't know. But, um, the thing is that now I think that technology, that, that, that lack of technical knowledge, there are those that still do. They, they have a knowledge, they have a knowledge of what they have and they have a knowledge of a little bit of what comes before. It's just like music. You can't play good blues now if you don't have a good, Blues,
0: understand the, the guys cabin. that come before, right? You know, so look at
1: what you guys are doing. When I was in high school and and just out of high school, if you wanted to be on the radio, you had to get a Class A license, right? Yeah. Yep. And now, now we're just can, Class A assholes. You yeah. just get out here and you just,
0: you just have to you just have to have a sharp wit to be able to harass. Yeah, people. exactly.
1: I mean, you got access to the entire world, yep. potentially, right? Yeah, and uh, there's nobody telling you what to do, we, or you don't have to understand yeah. how a tube works. We we
0: literally have yes. listeners throughout the world. Yeah, we've uh, got people in Africa and China yeah. and Asia and Australia, and even Russia.
2: Yep. Ooh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got people everywhere. The Russians are and listening. They're, they're probably listening to me, frankly. Uh, but yeah.
1: Yep. So, um, I don't really know much about you. Do you have? Like do you have music on YouTube or online, or so what? we. Um,
0: I have I have what they call a SoundCloud account. I've got some. Okay. I've got some music up there. Nothing to write home about. Um, and then I have a, a project I'm working on with a singer songwriter, uh, that actually is a a longtime friend of mine. But I grew up playing in bands. I was in, I was in bands all throughout high school and stuff. So um, but now we just got into this stuff because uh, I had kids and like took some time away. I was still playing guitar every day, but I just I didn't have the ability to focus on it as much. So I shed it for years and, and I decided I wanted to give back to the community. And uh, part of the thing was, like, I started this Guitar Resource Collective, um, which is just sharing ideas and information. And then I ended up meeting Jim through uh, another podcast. And so away we went. Yep. It's just a way that for us to give people. back. So.
2: <clears throat> yeah, we're just trying to, you know. Um like share stories and ideas and things, because sometimes it, even if it's just a seed of information that sparks a person to go look for stuff like, believe it or not, that wire technology you're talking about, they use that for memory and
1: computers. Yeah. So that, if you look that up, that's really where it came from. I wish I had that machine because they're probably worth a fortune, oh, yeah. you know? Nowadays. Very, very, very rare to get your hands on one that works, you know? In fact, there's a guy on YouTube, <clears throat> he's an English guy named techmo C-E-C-H-M-O-E-N. And he loves all that old gear like that. He's really a big uh, 70s gear guy. But he actually did a review of a wire recorder, which, I mean, I, I was like, wow, The men, the memories just came back like crazy because to see one.
0: I saw that.
1: Did you see it? I saw
2: it online and he's got like three or four because he's choosing parts to get one to work. That's a great channel. And believe it or not, he was talking about it because a guy that was, that's how I knew it was memory. Because a guy that was, I knew about the recording side of it but somebody had said hey you know what that was the way they use com- uh, computer memory and he linked it and then I saw that video and I
1: went oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember but that. To see that after have, having your hands on one at such a young age and then kind of forgetting about it in a yeah. way but not really I mean, it's there so it's, you, just, you know just walk around thinking about it you know yeah. and uh, but when you see one of those to operate it you know and he's got it running and the wires going around and you remember oh and it breaks and how do you fix it well you tie it and I mean, it's actually, in the little book that came with it, how do you fix a broken wire? Where well, you tie a knot. right? Yeah. I mean, it's like it seems so stupid, to, but that's how you do it. Yeah. You tie a knot. You know. But uh, that kind of stuff, you know, um, man, you know, when you, when you come, I mean, I kind of feel like maybe we live, you know, in the Flintstones you era, you know, or something.
2: Yeah. You remember when they talked about masters, you know, and, yeah. and you know, you you know what master tape is? Well, so when you first put a record together. Or tracks or whatever that you were putting together, you would use tape, and so they used um, regular old Scotch tape yep. that to splice the music together. And so to make a master, really all a master was back then. And this is why they're they a lot of times they're out of tune. Like you'd be sitting there playing along, and you go, "Why is that song out of tune?" It'll be a little slow or a little fast because the master reel um, device, the the whoever was putting the master together didn't have their um, synchros uh, calibrated yeah. to the proper speed. So as this one was feeding sound to this one, and then what would happen is they, they'd set one master aside that would go into a vault and then they'd take and make other masters. And then those were for pr- uh, printing your records and, and making your cassettes and everything else. So then they would print a number of prints off of that master so that one went poop. And then they would take another one, and they put that reel up, and do it so on and so forth to yeah. to get yeah.
1: out. So well, when you, you were know, selling millions of records, you literally had thousands of masters just went oh, in yeah. garbage back. Well, you know, we, we were talking earlier and about the Beatles, and I won't confirm that this is true if there's any legal problem with it. Paul is dead. <laughs> Paul is dead. We've confirmed it. That is that's true. Uh, John Halliday is really Paul. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I've got uh, I've got the, some of the four track masters from Sgt. Pepper and some of the Beatles stuff where you can isolate the tracks and remix. The, somebody got a hold of the tape and converted it to wave files. Yeah,
0: the stems. So
1: right. Somebody gave it to me, and you know I, I listened to it. And I mean, when you because that's how we kind of started our, our when 3340s came out. TI, Right. You know we got into the whole balancing thing and all that stuff and when you listen to how the Beatles George Martins I'm sure he must have thought all this out because you have to think it all out I mean the, the, it was brilliant just yes. brilliant but the quality is crap it's yes. horrible yes. I mean I would never put a record out based on these masters but when you stick it all together for right. some reason, like uh, what is it, Day in a life where they have that bigger uh, yes. orchestral part? Yes. There's nothing on that track. Up to that part. It's a dead <laughs> it's a dead yeah, right. track. And if you if you solo the track, this, it just blows me away because it's so cool because you can sort of if you close your eyes, you can sort of see what's in the studio. You can hear that they had a they had a speaker in the studio. And yeah. I'm guessing I don't know this for a fact, it's because they didn't have enough headphones. Right, for the guys in the orchestra. So, George Martin's probably got a set of headphones, and then they got the speaker, and it's kind of turned down, but you can hear it in the room. Yeah. And they, you can hear the guys rustling, and they're waiting for their part, and then their part comes, and they cut loose on that orchestral part, and and then the other parts on the other tracks where we'll have just, just McCartney singing, or just Lennon and McCartney, or just a guitar, and then a yeah. really tight punch, and a, and a horn, and a really tight punch, where if they just weep this much off, it would have ruined the whole tape, yep. you know? And I mean, when you listen to stuff like that and you realize how much work it was to, to do like a window edit back then, I mean, literally oh, yeah. cut the tape in a window. And I mean, it was bad enough cutting tape, but yeah. I've got another uh, bunch of tapes from the Beatles where they were running the same song over and over and over and over. And to me, it was like, well, every cut was pretty good. Yep. But they, they would do a song like 17 times. Yep. And what they might do is take well the first two verses of this one was really good and the tempo was good enough. Yeah. God bless Ringo. Yeah. Whatever yeah. you want to say about him. And they could actually cut those other tracks up and stitch, like you were saying, stitch yep. together a version yeah, that, that no one would ever spot. But they were tracking the whole band Whoa. and not doing any overdubs. So I mean that that was sort of how they got into it. And then along comes George Martin, yeah. and you know, and then of course Billy Shears took over Pulse, Thing in the band, and now we're stuck with him. <laughs> now tell
2: us that story about Billy Shears, because you hear his name in Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band in well, the
1: song. And so tell us about Billy Shears and, and who that. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's the kind of thing that really makes you go hmm. But this guy Billy Shears, who's who had a he was a studio musician apparently in Liverpool, I guess. His real name is Billy Shepard. And he had a band called Billy Pepper and the Pepper Pots, And he was the official double for Paul McCartney because when they used to travel, they would get chased by these, you know, girls who were peeing in their pants who were so excited. And they would get these doubles to go in the, the front entrance and they would go around and go in the back. Well, Billy Shepherd was the double for Paul, but it turns out that he was like a top flight musician, even better than Paul. and was on all kinds of records, and his dad was in the business, and the story is that Paul McCartney was in a car accident in 1966, right. and I think it was November, where he was killed with a girl, and that's the uh, day in the life is about yep. that. Yep. And uh, they quickly got Billy Shepard to replace Paul, and he had minor plastic surgery, learned how to play left-handed, and became Paul, and it's That's on exactly Sergeant similar. Pepper, the one and only. Uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, one and only Billy Shears. One and she only Billy Rivers. Rivers, Billy, right, Billy What she would she you do if I sang out? Right. Yeah, that was right. um that was so, there. I mean, the theory is that that, that <laughs> Billy Shepard <laughs> is took over for Paul McCartney, and that the, they only were going to do it on a short term basis. They had no intention of fooling their fans indefinitely. They just wanted to make a plan how they could let them down. Softly, because they figured it would be like to, to, for that to come out yep. would just blow all these poor little girls minds. They probably all commit suicide and yep. who knows what they would do. You know, um, it was a weird time <laughs> back then, man. It was a weird time. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'll tell you, if you, if you look at some of the material on YouTube, God bless YouTube. Um, one of the most interesting ones is there's a guy named Je- uh, John Halliday. He was not anymore. Um, he was the caretaker for the childhood home of Paul McCartney. And when he comes walking out, the videos are on YouTube, when he comes walking out and you look at him, you are looking at Paul McCartney. Aged. Yeah. So the alternate theory, conspiracy right. theory, is that Paul didn't die. He was just horribly injured. right? Couldn't sing or didn't want to sing or just didn't want to do it anymore. So they got this guy... Um, Billy Shepard and Paul still alive, but he's just been yanked from that job. Now, yeah. now a guy Colin Unwin has oh. taken over <laughs> as the as the caretaker. Now, Colin Unwin is supposedly the real John Lennon. <laughs>
0: Can't we just let John Lennon know, die? <laughs> <laughs> these theories are blowing women. No, The, one, the one that gets me, though, and the one that I wish was true is if Jim Morrison was still alive. But we're going to leave that alone. He yeah. absolutely yeah. is.
1: Yeah, he's still alive. He's Not up in dead. Oregon All these he's guys are alive. In
0: Oregon. Yeah, living
1: on, living on the fringe somewhere. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're, I don't know, man.
0: There's a dude I, in Oregon I mean, that's a spitting image of him, but he's got different color eyes. And he yeah. says that he is Jim Morrison, but... Well, and the, was, oh, and the band went to go meet him too. That's another thing. So, you know that kind of stuff. I don't know about you guys, but I love those. I, love I mean, I don't buy
1: anything like, right. just because some guy said it. You know, like somebody says, "Oh, blah blah blah, yada yada." Right. Oh, I, don't, I, believe it right off. The no, but, but you know, there's enough stuff to this when you really look at it. And if you just try to like turn your your biases off and be be a little bit impartial and go, okay, well, let's just look at this like I'm from another planet. I don't know anything. Yeah, you know, this is just information. Let me look at it and I'll make up my mind. But, right. Um, man, it's it's pretty wild and you know, I don't know, a lot of people they probably watch your stuff. You know, you kinda of get like an internet junkie, you know, right. you just love stuff on the internet and you get addicted to all these kinds of things That's and you start crazy watching stuff and the next thing you know it's five hours later. And you're you doing a lot. You just can't stop. You just can't stop. And yeah, pretty soon you start really questioning some of this stuff. And, and I don't know. I mean, I, well, obviously, you know, I, I can believe this. I my
2: brain, without even any kind of proof, would believe that there was a possibility that Paul had to step aside for a while, and somebody had to come in, look like him, to act like him, to sound like him because really the band was in turmoil and they weren't getting along. And it was all- And look betting. at what a
1: departure Sergeant Pepper was from everything they did. Everything. I mean, it was like, boom, whole new thing. Yep, it whole was like a brand thing. new band. And they stopped, that was when they stopped touring. Yep. I saw a video right before I came out here about when I was back home in LA. And, and I thought it was kind of interesting because I'd never seen it before and I never saw this angle on it, but this, this girl, it was a robot voice girl. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. these channels have robot voices and so they, they don't get I discovered know. or something. Yeah. Yeah. But they, she was talking about watch McCartney up to 66 on stage. Yep. He never looks at his hands. Right. He's just so rock solid sure of what he's playing. Maybe once or twice in a whole concert, he may look down. After 66, watch McCartney on stage. He's constantly look at looking his hands. down. Yep. And you know that that's something a musician can Catch really us. lock on to because we all know what that's like. You know, when you really know what you're doing, you don't need to look. But if if there's any hesitation at all, and I mean you might just be stealing a look. Even though, I just like, not like this. You know, right. you just like like this, you know, just a little bit. Yep. And he does it all the time. So I'm going like, Well, I've never seen that angle in the story before.
0: And I, I thought
1: that was kinda of interesting. I, he really does,
0: you know? My take on the whole thing is... Make up your own, mind. <laughs> My take on the thing is, like, if Paul, if Paul really did, like, step away, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not Paul again. But, like, it's one of those things where uh, he might have done it, not even because he was in a car accident, but just because he's like, I'm fed up, I don't want to perform anymore, yeah. to hell with it. I mean,
2: when you think about... We talked about this last week. It comes back to some of the stuff we talked about. So we talked about um, uh, our favorite documentaries. One was... I I was talking about Anvil, and you were talking about. um, Some kind of monster. And you were talking about Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah, Led Zeppelin. uh, My favorite monster. And one of the things we we discussed was how um, Jimmy Page didn't need to do Led Zeppelin. He was rich. Yeah. And he was a go to studio guy. His whole life was done as far as that type of stuff goes. He did what he wanted to do. So when you've got as much money, you think about where the Beatles stood at Sgt. Pepper's. They all could have just went home. Pink Floyd's the Wall is about that it's about if you if you went to see the concert and I did um or you see any concert footage, which is very rare because the one um company that they hired to do footage did a terrible job um, uh, so they pulled the they pulled the video anyway um they talk about how um in the beginning of the the whole concert is started with people wearing masks. Of them, and nobody knew. And then all of a sudden, you see Pink Floyd walk out, and they're replacing their their masked guys. And you listen to the songs; it's it's right there in the songs from from the wall. So I'm not surprised at all to have heard or seen um, mm-hmm. that somebody got pulled and replaced um, by a lot of lookalikes. And that was I can't remember what the band was. There is a band that they didn't they didn't make any bones about it. Yep, we got a new guy coming in. But he looked exactly like was it Judas Priest with um oh he sounded no, like
0: him. No, Tim Ripper it sounded like him, but he would He sounded yeah. just like him. And of course you got Journey who's had
2: two sound likes now. Right. But there was somebody that, that replaced a, a singer or the you know, one one of the primary members that looked exactly like him. Of course you've got the the conspiracy theories about the, the stones. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, um, well, it turns
1: out, out there's everybody's got yeah. one. It seems
0: like yeah.
1: you know all saw the really well
0: known people have some kind of theory. You know, but the, part of the, part of that is because the business. I mean, you've got so you've got this whole like seeing is believing. Right. Everybody bases their stuff on visual what they see when they go to a concert and whatnot. But, exactly. but in reality. Like what's going on behind the scenes, everybody thinks that, you know, on my my guitar gently weeps and it's that it's uh, George Harrison playing all this stuff. And it's Eric Clapton. That's Eric Clapton. Yeah. Yep. Like who who's, and Ringo you know? some,
1: Ringo's drum parts were redone while they were out to lunch and that kind yep. of
2: stuff. Yep. There was a guy that, I
1: know that I got that directly from somebody who was around that I mean yeah. I know that.
2: I can believe that hundred percent. You can tell Ringo's style. Yeah. And that was not Ringo. Not to say that Ringo wasn't a good timekeeper, but that was not well, Ringo. Well,
1: you know, in a lot of ways you got to give the guy credit because you know there's people right now that want to play with him yeah you know yeah, I mean, yeah. He's just, he came down to here another one charlie watts I mean, yeah charlie He's watts. really underrated because he's just not flashy he's just right a, and to me like i was i was i'm a bass player at heart i play other instruments but i'm a bass player at heart and i'd rather have a, a really good time drummer who doesn't do a single lick except just key. i'd rather play with him than the flashiest guy on earth because you don't need all that crap, you know, right. you just need a good groove, and Ringo was a good player, you know, yep. Uh, I would imagine that a lot of the stuff those guys did was probably so drugged out that well, they were had all their stuff. Yeah, so we
2: were somebody. talking about the Rolling Stones last week at lunch and you were talking about the, now I know you can't throw names or stuff like that around, but you know how
1: the, what was it, satisfaction. Yeah. That's not yeah it's not uh the lick lick. uh down down that jerry cole played that in the studio he was uh one of the wrecking crew guys uh he died recently but he he was around you know i mean up until about two or three years ago um people might or might know about the wrecking crew but almost every record made in the 60s late 50s and 60s and even the early
0: 70s Beach Boys. Yeah, they were bringing the, in a ringer for something.
1: They had the Wrecking Crew, which was Hal Blaine on drums, um, yep. Carol Kay Carol M- Bay on rapes, right. Glenn Campbell, Silicon uh, Tommy, guitar. T- uh, um, what's his name? Um, oh, I can't think of his name now. Tommy Tedesco Yeah, he guitar, was on guitar. Right? And all these guys, and, and they played on everybody's record, and Jerry Cole. Yep. And Jerry Cole did that lit, and, and that was not written. In any way by the Rolling Stones. We, we we were talking about music piracy right. lawsuits. Right and, lawsuits. Yes, yeah. right. And we were how, talking about the whole Ed Sheeran thing. Right. How you know? How do you judge when someone steals your music? In the old days, you had to sheet music. It's real easy. You look at it. You look at it. It's like right. it's black and white, literally. If it's a lift or not. Well, now you got these session guys, and Jerry Cole also did and I, I know this through a buddy of mine, he was really good friends with Jerry, the lead on eight miles high, that 12 string thing. Have you ever figured that out? Yeah. Have you figured no. out that lead? No, I have my 12 string there though. I'll Go tell you, you how big... he did it. <laughs> I'll tell you how he did it. Fifth fret capo. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's how he did it. That's yeah. all played on the fifth fret with a capo. And if you don't know that, you cannot play it. And so like when you see the birds play, nobody can play that solo right but most people who know that song or hear that song what's the first thing they think of Yeah, the solo solo. right same thing with satisfaction what's the first thing you think of? i don't even know the words except for i can't get no and they didn't even write that jerry cole came up with that in the studio did he get compensated nowadays i think if you're a session player a lot of a lot of times if the band's got the right mindset they'll They'll kind of put you in because you are helping to write the song, especially right. something like that. Right. I
0: mean, that well, makes the union, song the union rules have changed now. I mean, you get you get credit now. Like that's that. Yeah, but back then they could literally right. steal your. And yeah, and yeah well, I mean, like, like the, the girl that sang on "Dark Side of the Moon," they paid her like twenty-five bucks or something. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. and that was it. Uh, Tony, uh, what was her name? Tony, something or other that sang that incredible part. The kids
1: on another brick in the wall part two. Yeah. Never got paid. Right. Yeah. Probably get a <laughs> bunch of lollipops or something. But, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, session players, you know, I mean, I don't know. People that are just starting out in music it may not really sink into them yet. Don't figure it out, but they don't know now that as a musician, you got a lot of roads you can pick from. Yep. You know, if you're going to be a singer songwriter, that's this. You may not be a great musician, but you don't need to be, because you can get great musicians, right? right. If you're going to be a session player, you got to be a badass mofo, right? You know, and I mean, you got to be able to read, you got to be able to do all kinds of stuff. You got to be able to work all day. And I mean, all the stuff that, that and, and including, and I've, I've played a few sessions, I'm that's not my thing, but I've done it, including stuff you don't like. <laughs> yeah. In fact, can't stand. <laughs> to play on. It's like,
0: Oh God, we got to play this again. Being a side (laughs) band is a a pain in the ass for that reason. I mean, I've done it. It's a job.
1: It's a job, man. And then a band member, you being in a band. Okay. Well, that's a whole other thing. You know, now you're, now you're a live performing musician and you know, you might be a soloist. Maybe that's your thing, you know? So, you know, music is not one thing. It's, it's a, it's a array of, of different roads you can take. And for me, you know, I'm lazy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, I I don't have much of a work ethic unless I'm interested in something. And then I you can't stop me. Right. You know, I'll go for three days without sleeping. If I'm really into something, then I don't even know what day it is. But if I'm working on something I don't like, it's like, you know, <laughs> let's get this done as fast as we can. So, you know, like for people starting out in music, you know, you have to sort of think about, well, what do you want to do? You know, what what's where do you see yourself Musically, do you want to play other people's songs on right. stage and clubs? No. And I have that? no problem doing that. Yeah. That's, that's my thing. Well, you want to make money, I'm a cover guy, and that's yeah, it makes. You want to make money. Listen, I'll tell you the fastest way to stop making money: move to Los Angeles.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> right? You're Karen. not the first person <laughs> no, I heard really. say that. <laughs> I'm serious.
1: You know why? Here's why: <laughs> nobody really not, knows why, but every single musician I know out there says the same thing. I used to do great until I moved here. I can't make any money here's why you can't make any money all those people I was telling you about before they all play all the local clubs for free so you're a club owner they've got Ray Charles's guitar player they've yep. got this yeah. other guy they got this guy they got three or four guys who decided well, let's get together we'll go over here we'll, we'll, we'll play tonight for tips just for fun they don't even need the tips yeah okay so I come in there and here Mr. Club owner would you please Pay me to play in your club, and he's going, "Why? Yeah, why
2: should I? <laughs> and it, hey, I
1: got these guys. And there's a, nothing. There's literally a pay to play mentality. Pay to play. You want to play the Whiskey? You want to play uh, the Roxy, yep. the yep. Rainbow, any of those clubs? You've got to produce somewhere in the neighborhood of about hundred and fifty dollars worth of ticket sales. Yep. You got, in other words, you got to buy. Tickets you buy your tickets show.
2: up front, right? And then you sell your tickets. And right. if you don't sell enough to make your money, that's your problem. Yeah. We used
1: to play the Troubadour all the time. Every time we played the Troubadour, we left owing them money
3: <laughs> for
1: fear. <laughs> it was like, we always ended up having a bar tab bigger than what we Yeah.
3: did you know? oh yeah. <laughs>
2: last
1: why, night. Why are we playing the
2: Troubadours? It doesn't even make sense. That's mistake. why I drank water all night last night. I was not going to have another one of those nights.
1: After I paid for parking Jeez, and tolls, I am not doing that. Yet. So, so you know, I, it's it's a it's a crazy business. I don't know if I would do it again. To tell you the truth, I would probably be a plumber, because you know everybody needs a plumber.
2: Yeah, but man, all right. So <laughs> we're gonna get we're gonna get into the the other side of things. So tell me your tell me your um, tell me your funniest road story. You
1: know your a story from the road. When well, you were- one of the funniest ones that sticks out all the time when I think about it. We were playing in Boston at a club that's no longer there, it's called Paul's Mall, and if you wanna know where it is, it's where one of the bombs went off in the Boston Marathon. That's where Paul's Mall was, right there. And I recognize it right away, it's right across the street from the Essex Hotel. Well, we were staying there with Edgar Winter, and it was party time, it, it always was, right? Yes. <laughs> Our drummer was a sleepwalker, so, he would go. He was out in the elevator in his underwear, just going up in the
3: It's too good.
1: <laughs> and we're looking all over for the guy, trying to figure out where the hell did he go. You know, this is the same one that put, you know, right. acid <laughs> into wine and all this stuff. And he's a sleepwalker, and it's like we're here. We are running all over this hotel, and and Edgar Winter's band is there, and they're up all night. You know, and they're doing their thing. And we're looking for our drummer, and he's standing. Finally, he's standing in the elevator in his underwear, and he's just riding. <laughs> and it was like, oh, my God, you know, does it get any weirder than this? You know, but, you know, back then, you know, we went on the road. We didn't play that many road dates. Uh, we, When we played Paul's Mall, in fact, I, I think I told you about this. We were booked by William Morris. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big, big agent and they booked us at Paul's Mall with the Persuasions, which was a black acapella soul, yep. very good. I mean, yep. really great singers, right? Oh, yeah. Well, our organ player had a big Confederate flag <laughs> oh, my God. on the organ, right? Now, put this in perspective, it is the 60s or this the, the early, 60s, 70s, early 70s. Yeah, <laughs> early 70s, late 60s, early 70s. And, you know, so we come out on stage, <laughs> And we look out and it's all black people. The whole crowd is, because they're there, they don't know who the hell we with are. With a Dixie it's flag like, on stage, no less. Yeah, he's got a Confederate flag on, on the Oregon right? And we're looking around like, mm-hmm. so the club owner actually came over and said, hey, you know, you've gotta you got to ditch the flag, guys. You know, and I mean, stuff like that. You know, just little things that happen on the road, you know, and uh, we played uh, – a, a, a club in Brooklyn called the Silver Edge. Uh-huh. I think was the name of it. Down the village? And Ruffin, if you've Ruffin. ever seen, no, it's in Brooklyn. Have oh, okay. you ever seen the, the in movies and videos where they have chicken wire in front of the band? They had chicken wire in front of the
0: band.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I remember we go out on stage, and I'm looking, and i going, what the hell is this?
0: <laughs> it's to keep the <laughs> vegetables never, away.
1: We've never had anybody throw a beer bottle at us before, and
2: this is the first time for everything.
1: Yeah,
0: no they're just gonna throw the beer at you now
2: (laughs) I hate to to say it but having been in those clubs and having played those clubs it was like you know when the guy rides the cart at the golf place and everybody's trying to hit the golf balls at the guy to show how accurate they can be that's what that is this guy's showing hey look at this (laughs) so the
1: beer will smash (laughs) and then there's the ever obligatory every band has this experience gig with one guy at the bar and the oh. bar is empty. Yeah, <laughs> and you come in and you say you tell the owner or the bartender like, do you really? Now this is book by William Morris. Okay, do you really want us to play for one guy? And of course the answer is yeah. We got a contract. You're gonna play anyway, uh. and you got to stand out there and play for one drunk <laughs> <laughs> who's Before- he- free bird oh yeah and we're doing original material that's the other thing too we weren't doing cover songs We'd right do, right because yeah, we yeah, were doing program. our record you know right. so we're doing our own stuff and nobody wants to hear our stuff they don't even know who we are we're just some right. idiots <laughs> showed <laughs> up to one guy at a bar and that's that's
0: the perfect time for like, like that scene of Spinal Tap where they're like oh we'll just do a jazz exploration tonight like <laughs> <laughs>
2: You do that jazz blues. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if this is a blues jazz or jazz blues club. I don't know. <laughs> well,
0: it doesn't matter.
1: I don't know if that kind of stuff happens to people
0: anymore. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, it does. No, oh, it, yes, does. it
2: does. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. We played, uh, I'll tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've done it. Um, even as recently as this year, um, not this calendar year, maybe, but this year, um, where maybe one, two people are left in the bar. You guys wanna just knock a hundred bucks off and go home <laughs> yeah. and it's like hey, <laughs> we we want you to play. I'm like, you've really got your hopes up, don't you? I mean, <laughs> it's obviously crappy weather. Apparently, they, they need really to go prop to the last
0: year. They need to go They're- prop the doors open to hope that anybody's walking by <laughs> comes oh, in. my god! I think
2: the only reason they didn't prop the doors open is because it was like 12 degrees outside.
0: Yeah, that, that wouldn't stop them
2: around here. <laughs>
0: no, no, you're in Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> and that's normal.
2: That's summertime yeah.
0: weather. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say that's like that's like what was that? Uh, it was uh, 12 degrees last week. <laughs> yeah, early spring.
1: Well, hence, hence my comment that you know I'm not so sure being a musician is necessarily a great career choice, really. But I mean, as far as far as making money, no. unless you're, unless you're very fortunate what? or like unbelievably good, people can Aren't be sure. people could live in a big,
2: big giant mansion like you have that you're in. Because yeah. tell us tell us about how musicians live in these giant mansions, and they're and they're they're drinking nothing but champagne and. And well, how, we did, how we did it. <laughs> My mansion <laughs>
1: has only it.
0: 900 square feet. <laughs>
1: I, won't, I won't name the record company or the guy that did it but, um, or the guys that did it. But right. when we moved to Los Angeles, we, we, had, we had already made our own record. And all we had to do was remix it. So we went to Sound City in Van Nuys, which is super famous. I was going to talk about no, Sound City. Yeah, and right. we mixed it there from quad to stereo. And then we went to Capitol Records and mastered in the capital. So we had the best guys in Hollywood working on our record and we thought, okay, here we are, we're in LA, we got a record, it's been worked on by the best people in the business, we just made all this money, yada, yada. So the record company, which shall go unnamed, yeah. um, signed us through a production company and uh, those two guys had a uh, hit record with uh, a group, I won't name the group, but the song was "Happy Together," and uh, mm. they.
0: Uh, <laughs> I know they were, <laughs> <laughs> Seen them recently, uh, in fact. And so they were like, you
1: know, they were, you know, these guys, right? So uh, we we were put up in in two houses, not one, but two houses by the record company. My sister came to one of them. You remember that place, right? It was nice, wasn't it? Pool, and we're sitting there. So they gave us forty dollars a week. Yep. A furnished house, a film tin full of pot. In a rehearsal studio, and said, "Go get 'em, guys! Let's get your show up." <laughs> and and so, you know, being the idiot, so we were figuring, "Oh, here we are! You know, we've just remixed our album at Sound City, and we just mastered it at Capitol Records." And the record company set us up in this great pad with all these girls and all the drugs and all this stuff. And man, this is it! So we're yep. like, we're doing our you know our duty out in the garage, and we soundproof the garage, and we're working on our show. And and we would even rent that out. Um, Nick Gilder. Uh, came in and oh, yeah. uh "Hot Child" yeah, in, hot the child in, city, in yeah. our garage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods came in, oh, yeah. and they were because we had a great rehearsal studio, you know. So, I'm that, so I that that's how I met these guys, and they yeah. were in our garage, you know. And so here we were doing all this crap. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to us, they were stealing us blind. Yep, they they stole like three hundred forty thousand dollars. See, this, this is, is where the
0: reality is, guys. Right so, here. You're paying for all that stuff that they've got, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, how much do you think it
1: costs for a film tin full of pot? You know, it's got to be $300,000, right? (laughs) But, I mean, they had us completely snookered. I mean, we were living good. You know, we had not everything was paid for. We are riding around in limousines and Rolls Royces and stuff. You know, like, living the life, man. You want to go somewhere, guys? We'll send a car. Well, now I learned that a car is a limo. Right. I thought a car was a car. Right. But it's actually a limo, right? Or or rolls. Right, right. No, we'll send a car. So, you know, we're riding down Sunset Boulevard in a car, you know, like T shirts and in fact it, when I got picked up the very first time I went to LA to make this deal, I'll never forget, you know, the guy said, we'll, we'll have a car waiting for you at LAX. I'm like, Okay. So I show up, I got jeans and a T shirt on, you know, it's a hick from Virginia. Yeah, and uh, I'm looking around for a car, and I don't see a car anywhere. <laughs> yeah, just this
0: limo with a guy with the your, car. you know, with sign with your name on it. <laughs> yeah, he's just, just Dan Fogg. <laughs>
1: is this is this the guy? Who yeah. is that Dan Fogg guy? That's me. <laughs> so I get in, the, I get in the limo, and I'm looking, and I'm like, wow, this is pretty, pretty class, man. Right. And the guy says, uh, first time in L.A.?" And I said, "Yeah, it is." So uh, how do you like the aura? And I'm looking, I'm going. You mean that brown stuff? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, you should have seen back So put that in perspective. Think about L. A. in the early '70s, oh, right? My God.
1: I mean, oh I mean, my God, gag a maggot, man. Oh. So huh. I How do you
2: goes, like our no,
1: Well, it's kind of smoggy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, but you know, apparently back then, I never really got the whole lowdown on it. But apparently back then. There was some kind of a thing going on with record deals where I never could quite figure it out. They had some kind of a deal where, well, I know what they were doing with the record company. They, the record company was giving these guys money and they were giving it back under the table in cash to right. the president of the record company, who I later learned, one of. The, I worked at a newspaper for a while, and one of the guys that worked for me actually had held this guy out of a window by the angles. Wow. Yeah. To, you know convince them about some stuff right so I mean these guys are you know like this and uh, in the 60s and 70s '50s, 60s and 70s if you wanted your record on the radio it costs money yeah payola yeah payola and it's yep. a real thing remember lover boy from Canada yep. that band, remember them Yep. they got killed because they wouldn't pay yeah they were like gone just yep. like that overnight overnight and that's how they did it. So you know these guys were were surrounded by mafiosos, and what happened was they worked their way into the distribution business um, more so, like like in Vegas, the hotel guys. They worked their way into the service unions, the maids, and that's where the mob is now. They they're not really in the casinos anymore. They're in the service industries. Right. So those guys are all around, and it's inevitable that you're going to get ripped off, especially if you're a bunch of idiots. From Virginia and North Carolina, yeah, who don't know nothing, who are impressed right? by all yeah. this yeah. stuff, and like, we're just like, oh, la 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 la, we're gonna go to LA, and we're gonna, you know, jump in the pool, and we're gonna play and hot dog and do do do.
0: That's not- the same, same, same thing. Like you're talking about Vegas. Like uh, the uh, the head of the gas company is a former mob lawyer.
2: <laughs> yeah, if you if you look at um, the record companies now, they haven't changed their their style they pretty much i mean they don't own own but they own enough stock in SoundCloud and and uh what's the what's the one that starts with p that people use to listen to Pandora yeah all these, so all they, those channels.
0: So there's a so there's a big thing about that like yes they own stock in those companies but the reality is they got in too late and it's only a matter of time that's what the, the, I've been reading various news articles that were talking about how the how the uh, the recording industry is changing rapidly because of that so
2: yeah, but it'll just be a different pile of, of scumbags. Yeah, so I, well that's what I mean. Just because like the rats just because the old rats die off and a new rats come in. Hey, I believe what you Zappa
0: know, said, you know, that, that because these guys are not willing to take risks is why is the reason that, that music sucks now. It is. Because they don't take risks. That's are you a Zappa fan? Yeah, big Zappa fan. Big
1: time? Big time? Yeah. Oh, me too, man. Me too. I've been in fact lately I've been reminiscing there's a lot of really good videos. Um I met I met Gail in Dweezel some years ago in North Hollywood and it's just really wonderful but it turns out a lot of people didn't like Gail very much. I don't know why. I thought I, she Gail, was, uh.
0: Gail at the end of her life kind of she so she kind of went off the deep end with with her feelings towards Frank. And I think it's because Frank was so promiscuous. And I think like yeah. as she was aging, she was just getting angry because it was like you left me with nothing. Like you yeah. left me to to guard your legacy but like I really don't have you anymore. Kind of deal. Yeah. Um, I was like blown away by his vault. I mean. Oh, oh, yeah.
1: Oh, man. I mean, I have never seen so many tapes yeah. in one place. That guy must have. Well, you, you know, he did, because even on records, he would record band meetings and put them on the record. You know, Jimmy Carl Black. You know, all I want to know is where where's the beer? and When do I get paid? <laughs>
3: well, that was
0: real. Um, so good story about that. So Eric Clapton got called up by. Um by uh, Frank sometime in the mid 70s and he he said oh you're in town he's like come over we're gonna we're gonna do some recordings so Clapton comes over and he plays for like eight hours right and just just what do you want me to play well just play whatever you want so he's just record, you know, running the running the tapes, and uh, Clapton says, "I don't know where those tapes are at. Like, I honestly, don't know what happened to them. or anything. They're sitting <laughs> yeah. in the vault somewhere." He's, yeah, you because know, sure Frank won't. would do that. He would splice up things that's, and then either speed it up or slow it down to fit the fit the take, and like, right? He, but he, but see, Clapton's right on now, it.
2: <laughs> yeah, right now, that and that's the other thing. So when they, um, I talked about that that uh, mastering thing. A lot of times to get a song to be short enough to put on the radio, and we all know. About those weird ones, you know, Day in the Life, um, American Pie, um, uh, Hey Jude. Yeah. Get on the radio that were way too long, right? But most most songs fit into that three to three and a half minute time frame, right? And if you didn't get, and typically there was a three minute radio edit. It was boom, boom, boom. Yeah. You take the song and get the song out. Paint on a hook. Yep. And so what they would do is they would do that. They would speed a song up. So you would say, "Wow, that guy could really sing high." Then you see him live, and you go, "How come they don't sing that?" And how come it's so much slower? And you realize that yeah. it's because if you got a a master, you know, one of the old ones, run a little faster. Yeah, all they did was speed up. And matter of fact, they did that to um. There's a song by Billy Joel, of All People, and uh, she's got a way. And if, you know, everybody knows the live version. You know, she's got a way about her. Well, they did the the mix. To put it on the um, radio, and so they shoved it in, and they they did it so badly that no one would play it because it sounded like the chipmunks. And we go. She's got a way about her. Don't know what it is, and I don't know. And it was <laughs> it literally sounds like that. I, I can I, I have a disc that has that on. It might be a cassette, and I was like, that's what that sounded yeah, there's like. Some,
0: there's some guffaws and that kind of stuff. Well, what gets oh, yeah. me, so coming from the 60s and 70s and, and dealing with this stuff, like, I, I'm a tone chaser, and uh, most recently I've been working on uh, Jimi Hendrix-type stuff, and, like, people don't realize that in the 60s and 70s, if you didn't have a piece of equipment, the engineers would build it for you. Like, they would literally, put, right. like, hack things together and do all this, like, mad scientist crap to make stuff happen. I mean, I, hell, my generation, they don't even understand that a plate reverb's the size of a room. Like, they don't, yeah. they just don't get it, you know? Yeah. It's like...
2: Well because somebody tells them that a pedal this size is a plate reverb. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you
1: know that Goldstone Studios in Hollywood where they did a lot of hit records was was famous in part because their reverb chamber was a propane tank. Oh yeah. A big propane tank. And no one else could get that sound. Unless you had a big propane tank, right? Right, right. <laughs> I mean,
0: stand in thing. right yeah. but but so so there's the mad scientist mentality, though. It's like you it's like exactly. w- that'll work. We'll just use that, oh. you know. <laughs> well, look at look at um, uh, Eddie Van
2: Halen. He took a bomb. <laughs> he turned it into. A... <laughs> yeah. It was a bomb. It was a big bomb. It is. There's pictures of it. It is
1: tall as this whole room. It, it would not fit in this room. And that is what he used for a tank. Yeah, CBS in Manhattan, they had um, a stairwell locked off. And they had a mic at the top hanging, and they had a speaker at the bottom facing up. And if you wanted to adjust it, you would put the speaker on different floors. Yeah. And, and no one could go in there. They had it locked off and say, hey, well, let's shorten the reverb. And the guy would go in. Yeah. And he <laughs> had to said, go <laughs> up the stairs.
0: Well, that famous that famous Randy Rhoads uh, guitar tone that was you know on like the, the uh, early Ozzy albums, like, that was basically his amp pointed at a stairway, and then they would yeah. put the microphone up and down on the stairs or above it or behind it or whatever yeah. they had to do. Then, yep.
1: Yeah,
2: all that well, stuff. the first the first Weird Al Yankovic was a bathroom recording. Yeah. Yep. And we remember, we talked to as recently as a couple of years ago, um, who was the girl, Mandy, yeah, that I we talked so. to? Right, right. Um, she did a bathroom recording, and then she put the video together of it, remember? Yeah, it's on YouTube. Yeah,
0: that's pretty cool. She did yeah, the whole song man. in a bathroom.
2: She's standing in the shower. I was like, is that a shower head? And it was yeah, that so She did it on so purpose.
0: Like, like, it was totally done they, on purpose. Yeah, so they did it. They shot the video of her <laughs> doing it. And, and she's got, like, soap
2: dispensers. Yeah. <laughs> She said up a friend's bathroom or something. That's a really good If you, do, yeah, if you guys right. haven't listened to that interview, go back and look up the Mandy Rowden um, uh, interview.
1: It's so funny, and yeah, she had awesome. such some great, really great stories. But I know what you mean about the mad scientist mentality because yeah. these guys, they, the reporting engineers back then, they were problem solvers. Yeah. yeah. Now you're a computer guy. Yeah, you know. Now you're a software. Your engineering. software engineering, oh I've right? done my
0: fair share of <laughs> gorilla recording too, so but yeah, no, very much so. Like it's just, it's just a changed industry now.
1: It is. It's it's completely different. And, and you know, the I kinda miss those days myself because you know, like um when you're when you're faced with a situation and the technology doesn't really solve your problem or, or get you where you want to go. Yep. You know, you gotta really get creative. You know, when we did that quad album, um, we took a Strat. you'll like this because you're a guitar player. We took a Stratocaster apart. we split the pickups, uh-huh. rewound the pickups, put in two stereo jacks, so it had four outputs. Right? See, that's like that one you were showing me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he plugged into four amps, and we mic'd each amp, and that guitar was completely unique. Cause I've never seen. Maybe that's the one we
0: saw. <laughs> no, that no, we saw. So I sent Jim a picture. Of some guy taking this Stratocaster, and he put—I uh, think it was eight pickups in it. It was yeah. eight single coil pickups, wow. and then he wow. had he had like two five way selectors and like two output jacks. And we figured and, they were both stereo. And I can't say how many
2: knobs, like eight knobs or something like that. So we got yeah. the idea from
1: Rick and bass yeah because they had two outputs yeah two jacks right we're only missing two jacks that we got right. one guitar so we we work and we were working on that thing that till the night before we left to go to nashville and i do I mean, we're soldering like crazy that's another thing
0: yep. people may not know anymore yeah, yeah. Soldering. soldering man that's where it's at <laughs> i got I, no i have soldering there but i built pedals and stuff before so
1: thank god my dad was uh a good solder you know, yep. you know
0: We were lucky when
1: we were kids because uh, my dad worked at NASA, but he fixed TVs and radios on the side. So he had a tube tester in the garage. Oh, yeah. I got a buddy
0: who's got a tube tester. Yeah.
1: And all the good tubes that we used to blow out, like 6L6GC and 12AX7 and 12AT7, (laughs) right? And it's amazing. I still remember these damn things. We would steal those out of his rack. (laughs) And he would get so mad at us, like, ah, they're taking my tubes. But. Yeah, because those went TVs and they went FM and radio. radios yes, and
2: stuff, right. and it, and that's why I was I was talking about. I've told people a million times that my first my first amplifier was a tube television with the with the receivers on either side. It had great had great sound and it was loud. It was what heavy. One of my biggest. still as have as had the, the screen. Gas. Yes, I had the screen. Watch TV while you're playing. Well, what I had to do was so I pulled the um the electronics for the TV. Oh, you know how man. you could, it, but under the under the CRT was the, you know, the box for the TV stuff. I just pulled that Jack out, reconfigured the Jack to accept my guitar, but I had to put it in TV mode to get my guitar to play. So when you put it in TV mode, the TV would turn on, right? <laughs> and so I had a black and white screen showing whatever local channel there was that I could get tuned in well, that while beats I played. My by a, by a mile, so though. that was my lighting kit.
0: <laughs> one, of my, uh, one of my college professors talked about, because of course, like people are, especially in the guitar market, we're still buying tube stuff. Like we're still heavily yeah. invested in tube technology. And uh, so <laughs> One of my one of my college professors, when when tubes started to you know fail, like the production started to go out of whack and they weren't making them anymore, he went and he bought. I think he said that he spent like three or four thousand dollars, and he has an entire closet filled with audio tubes, like all yeah. kinds of different stuff. And he said, whenever I need some money, I just go sell like a handful of them. <laughs> yeah. And it's not cheap. No, they aren't. twelve X sevens are like twenty bucks. A, twenty bucks a tube. No. Yeah. When yeah. people ask why is a why is a tube amp so expensive,
2: part of it is the fact that it's yeah. a, <laughs> a tube amp, and it's not just the tube. I mean, those
0: circuits that they're not they're not cheap. I don't know, well, go good. ask Mike Matthews. He's the only guy <laughs> producing tubes anymore. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, that's, those are the good yeah. old days, man. You know, we in fact the, the studio that we used in Nashville um, had two 500 watt. Um, uh, was it two 500 watts? Map, yeah, two 500-watt Mac, Macintosh yeah. amps, two amps, and man, was it loud, <laughs> and man, it <laughs> did it sound good. Yeah. I mean, holy cow, we just pin you up against the wall. I hate to admit that it,
2: a guitar sounds really good pushing volume. Oh, yeah. I I, I wish that I could say that, that, oh, you know what? I can get just as good a tone as Little Lunchbox. Liar. There. Bullshit. Liar. I I will say straight out that you you need volume and it needs to be pushing hard one or well, you should have more than one speaker. But I mean, it's just one of those things. Yeah, I'd rather have a four by twelve. But the four by twelve, you know, and then there's the reality. We were talking about it this morning when I went to church and, and saw you guys. um You know, I'm lugging that stuff in and out. And you're just getting older, and the back is not, ah oh, geez. Practicality.
0: That's why we are the practical guitarists.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, so. here, I've got my amp. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the knob is my really little nice. lunchbox is really all I bring. See that little bag right there? That is everything I bring to a gig. I don't actually bring that
2: cabinet. I only bring that. That's for recording here or practice. Because it won't let me buy an, oh, wait, I already lost. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Gear, your gear is only for bet. you. Look at that. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? That is gorgeous. That's a beautiful should, consolation prize. That's my consolation losing prize right there. Yeah, I, I love it. That Hey, I didn't buy that. I was buying you a gift. That came free. That's bullshit. I mean, was I supposed <laughs> to throw away
0: all the packaging? No. I believe they call that bullshit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so now you're you're um you know, what what was the name of your your
1: album and your band when you guys did the quarterfinal thing you did the Well, at the time, um the name, we left CBS and we renamed the group Iguana. Right,
3: that's it, Michael Iguana. Wizard.
1: Yep. In fact, that album is on YouTube. Uh, the channel is Iguana2018. And uh, we put all the tracks up from the original record and um, well, the guitar player I that we had in the group got his hands on, I guess he had him in his garage or someplace the 24 track masters for a second album that we did in quad and he took them to a guy i think over in Pasadena and he had the tapes baked 24 tracks right 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 because all the stuff that we did is all gooped out you can't right play it. yeah 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 he got it baked and he had the guy running in one time uh 24 tracks into uh wave file copies and so we were able to remix this stuff that was never ever heard by anybody, right? And for like over 40 years, and so we put four songs up from that record, yeah. And it was called Tanglewood Tales, and that was the story I told you about getting stopped by the police in Tennessee. Yeah, uh-huh. and the guys and we were all like, Whoa. you know, we were staying at Tanglewood Lodge. Oh, yeah, you got to tell us about. Oh yeah, yeah, we were we were recording and we were standing standing at this this really famous lodge in in na- outside Nashville that. You know, Hugh Hefner and these people used to stay. I call Tanglewood Lodge, and so we would go into town and get all drunk, and chase girls and stuff, and then we would drive <laughs> back out there like a bunch of idiots. So we get pulled over one night, and and uh, yeah, we were just we really should have been in jail. I mean, that's how bad it was. Got, <laughs> the guy sheriff comes over, he goes, "Uh, what's boys doing?" And we said, "Well, we're going home." He said, "Where's that?" And I said, "Well, we're staying with Henry Remersa. He goes. Oh, you stand staying with Henry, huh? Yeah. He goes, well, I could do one of two things. I could put you boys in jail, or I could let you go. I'm going to let you go. <laughs> and we skated, man. I mean, I couldn't believe it. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, you know, we, we, we were living out in the country, and I think Bigfoot came by. I'm <laughs> he was liking the music. <laughs> Bring his... Bring his wife,
2: pretty sure, Yeti. Pretty sure Bigfoot <laughs> came by.
1: Uh, but the studio we were using was Quadraphonic Sound Studios with an F, Quadraphonic with an F. Yeah. Still exists. At the time, it was owned by Elliot Maser of Neil Young thing. And uh, we were recording at the same time Dan Fogelberg was recording with essentially oh. the same band, more or less. Yeah. And uh, he was actually book time. And then we were sort of like... We had worked there with CBS and we made friends with some people in Nashville, and, and they liked us. Right. So they invited us to come down and record our album for free in this beautiful studio, as long as we didn't care when it was. Right. Which we didn't, <laughs> because we right. were in town drunk half the time anyway. In fact, there's a there's a there's a um, a cut on the record on the album, uh, the iguana album called uh, the Tango Tales called Red Hot. Kenny Butchery was our drummer. He's dead now, but he used to play with the, In fact, his most famous, everybody will know Kenny from this song. He was the he was the guy hitting the bass drum on Everybody Must Get Stoned, Bob Dylan. <laughs> oh, okay. That was Kenny. So, Kenny said, let's go out and see how drunk we can get and then see if we can make a record. <laughs> <laughs> What's oh my what is it with drummers? And getting <laughs> stoned or drunk and then putting something together. So I said, okay. So we went out and we got really, really drunk and then we came back, I don't know why we thought this was a good idea. Uh, yeah. Came back to the <laughs> studio, and, and so we did this song, Red Hot, and it actually came out pretty, it sounds like a bunch of guys. At the time, none of us knew that Kenny had played that part on Dylan's song. He was just a guy like, we had worked with CBS, and he liked us, so he played for free. Weldon Mark played pedal steel guitar for free, which yes. is where I got my interest in pedal steel guitar. Yep. Um, Norbert Putnam and David Briggs on the studio, uh, Quadraphonic Studios, and um, we had uh, Farrell Morris playing percussion, Buddy yep. Spiker playing uh, violin, and Florence Warner, who later went on to, just beautiful voice. She's one of those people you sit in the control room and she starts singing and everything stops. It's right. like oh um, man, an angel in the studio right now. She went on to be the voice of almost every commercial. Like, have you driven a Ford lately? That's Florence. Yeah. Yeah. She was like a gazillionaire, gazillionaire um, from commercials. She right. never made it in the, in the music business because she didn't have a look. Right, right. She wasn't good looking, you know? Yeah. But um, that was Iguana. And then we did those albums down there. And then we repackaged that, that album. United Artists bought us out moved us to California, so that was the the group that we, that we went to California, but when we started getting harassed by the people, when we found out that they were robbing us, they found out we found out, we were getting phone calls like, hey, well, we got some tickets for you guys down at the airport, why don't you leave town, and uh, we were going, uh, no, we don't think we want to leave town, so we changed the name of the band, started playing clubs under another name. And just basically disappeared into oblivion from right. that point on. So that was the demise of that group. And then, you know, we sort of stayed around. I started doing sessions and uh, the internet. I, I still do sessions over the internet every now and then and uh, yeah. work with Toad Wet Sprocket, Ian Matthews from England, different people, playing pedal steel mostly because there's in LA, there's a hundred million bass players. There's a hundred yeah, million. Yeah, you, you from- look
0: for something to set yourself apart. And, you and it's the same thing in the orchestra to world too. It's not that I'm very
1: good. It's just I'm cheap.
0: <laughs> uh, and you can do it. I'm
1: cheap, I get the job done. And I have a money back guarantee. If you don't like my part, don't pay me. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> what have I lost? A couple of days' work, big deal. You know what I mean? So that's kinda you know how I ended up where I am. And and the iguana stuff is is kinda interesting. You know, it's iguana twenty eighteen is where that stuff is. There's pictures up there of us when we were Twenty something, yeah, and you know, still able. If we chase girls, we could actually catch them. Right, right.
2: Yeah. And that, yeah. Now the they either have to chase me
1: or they're like, oh, that. <laughs> that was fun <laughs> back then. And then uh, along the way, you know, I work with other people now. Uh, you know, I either hire myself out to do sessions over the internet. Uh, I've got a few a few songs up on uh, on YouTube that, under my name. It's the Don Man Band, and. Um, Two or three songs I'm pretty proud of. I've got a version of Danny Boy on pedal steel guitar, which is kind of nice. I did the f- track on pedal steel first with no accompaniment, and went back and put piano on, and lo and behold, that was actually in yeah. tune. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> and I'm going like, wow, okay, well, I better yeah. play that. You know, That came out pretty good, and uh, I've got a, a cover of Buddy Emmons, uh, um, what is it? Um, uh, Rose Colored Glasses by mm. Buddy Evans, which I did a cover on and then I did another song just recently one of my viewers bought or, or got some uh, musical instruments got a Chinese violin okay. right and, which is an erhu, A-E-R A-E-E-H-R-U or something like that erhu, or I don't right. know how you say it and uh, a Native American flute and a couple other things so he wrote me he said would you like this stuff and I said yeah he said well would you do a song with it and I said sure like yeah, I, I can play a Chinese violin to, you know? yeah you'll figure it out <laughs> so anyway he sent it to me and I think well I made the guy a promise so I did a song called outside the box and in that video I played like five or six different instruments and that's why it's called the Don Man Band because long time ago I found the musicians are flakes and you can, they don't show up so I figured it's just easier for me to learn how to play these other instruments because I show up.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they, You sound like Frank now,
1: by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. He was a big influence on me, man. I bought Freak Out in, what, 65 when they came out? 65 or 66? Yeah. Just because of the cover. And Yeah, Freak Out had a weird cover. Blew me away, man. And I became like an instant fan, you know. And, and, and the whole idea of, of multi-tracking and all that stuff. You know, he had a studio in, in Rancho Cucamongo uh, Zeke studios, which was a six track. There was only one other studio at the time that had five or six tracks and th- and there was nothing else in Southern California anywhere right. that had the capability to do, to do tracks like that. And you know, that just blew me away. And, and the whole concept of, of, of tracking stuff that you could do yourself right. was like, wow. Yeah. That's man. why he
0: wanted more tracks. Cause he just didn't want to have to hire anybody. Right. And then, you know, I think I picked that up from him a little
1: bit because I kind of realized along the way it's like, you know, you, you, you get this guitar player and he doesn't come and you know, you get a girl singer and she comes like the next day.
0: There was some there was some <laughs> comment about that he made he, he said something to the equivalent of like recording is the process by which we try to remove uh, any imperfection and then he said like musicians are the most imperfect thing in the world because they don't show up or something like <laughs> yeah, that that's, <laughs> yeah that's right. that's
2: right well if you look at some of the most famous um, like guest musician things we talked about Tony uh, what's her name Tori Tori um, Tori And the, no the one that was on um, that sang on Dark Side of the Moon oh, oh. Um, she's the one that did that incredible um, one take one right. shot one take but Roger Waters walked her up to her in the you know in the hallway and said hey can you come in here? And she said, like, "I don't know. I, I She hadn't heard the song. She just put the headphones on, listened to it, and then came with that eerie thing that she does over the, um, over eclipse. And then, so, um, another one is when you're in. I'm uh, um, not in love. Where you hear the girl go, "Big boys don't cry. Big boys don't cry. Big boys." That was the receptionist. They said, "Just come in." And she's like, "I can't sing. Just go." Big boys don't cry, big boys don't cry. And she she recorded that, and that's that's one of the eeriest things. You hear that song, you know, not in love. And you know, and then it's got that whole breakdown where the bass comes in with the solo and it's incredible. That's an incredible song. Just musically, that's all, that's all voice. They were going to get rid of all the instruments. The instruments were actually a one take thing. And they were going to remove the instruments from it and just leave the voices. And they had 16 tracks of voices. And what they did was they sang each note in an octave. So you had 12 notes. Then you had, four, um, actually, it might have been 24 tracks, but the, um, so you had two octaves, I think. And so they treated the, the um, thing like a keyboard, or right. a controller. So they would bring in the notes they needed, and they had the pitch of the notes. And that's wow. why there's all that breath on that, yeah, because it's, it's literally just a looped, person going
3: ah you know and then, ah and ah
2: you know doing all those notes um so that was, it was that all was pretty,
0: automated yeah
3: yeah Bad i
2: science
0: like,
3: yeah man science do- yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so yeah. that's why they could never do it live like that because you know and then people think it's a keyboard song but it's actually an all vocal song yeah um but anyway it, if you think about it because musicians are such flakes that's the reason Roger Waters did the um the interviews. That that's that's wings you hear on Dark Side of the Moon. It's like, yeah. you know, eh, of course uh, I was in the right." You know, um when you hear that those people talking in the background, that's wings because they were in the same recording studio. Well, some, like, some of
0: them oh, is wings, others it's just random people that just yeah, happen to be there was, like the janitor like, and like
2: the, <laughs> Yeah, there's one famous guy that you remember. He's a, he's like the 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 guy that you, was the greeter or well the the They call him the security guy, but he was just, yeah. you know, he goes, um, you know, so he's one of the more more famous voices you hear. He's like,
0: I'm the one that, or I was definitely in the right, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know it was.
2: Yeah, and what it did was, that day, Roger Waters had lost all the cue cards that he wanted people to read from. All the other cue cards that he wanted people to read from, he just winged it. Did, the guy just started talking. He's like, yeah, and punched the guy's lights out.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, the whole thing is, like, they, they talk about, because there's, like, there's a classic album thing where they talk about the whole album in that process, yep. and they're like, well, yeah, they were much better than what was on the cue cards anyway. So Yeah, and for
2: Alan Parsons, remember how I told you oh, about yeah. speeding things up, yeah, slowing yeah, things yeah. down?
0: Alan Parsons was
2: like, well, I've got uh, that sound that you hear that sounds like a cash register is actually they took a handful of coins and they threw yeah. them into a pottery Thing, that's that's a yeah. pottery spinner, yeah. and so the person was sitting there and do, 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 do you get this, and then the they throw the coins in there, and that's the the sound you hear. So, um,
0: some of, well, some of it's fast- also uh, it's it's also stock like like audio clips yeah. they had too, but
2: yeah. yeah. So to get that timing right, he spliced the right amount of tape, but there was no recorder that had this distance to put the tape on. So he put one. Piece of the tape on here, one piece of tape on the other roller, and then took a broomstick and pulled the tape taut, and had to hold the broomstick while it ran so that it could. The Beatles did that too.
1: They brought in loops. Yep. <clears> well, Harold <throat> Parsons worked that. Yeah. Yeah. They brought in loops. In fact, I, would, I think it was Lennon was talking about. I forget which song it was. It, he said, "There's no way we could have ever duplicate this song. It was a one-shot deal, yep. and every time would be different. If we did it again, it would be completely different. Yep. It just happened to, to nail it. That yeah. one, t- it's like serendipity, you know. And that's that's how that stuff goes sometimes. No, you know, it just it just happens when it happens. And if it doesn't happen, you just keep trying until it does. You know." But, now we, you can just fix it on the computer. Yeah, so. but we lose a little bit of. That's the thing. We, People we talk do. about that. We,
2: we're. Uh, I'm going to use the word because we as guitar players, we do use this word about ourselves. let's like tone whores. We're all tone whores. Yeah, we, I mean, you could
0: sit there and oh, with a fix it in the mix approach and sit there for five or six hours fixing notes if you want to. Oh, I mean, yeah. and and okay. at that point, is it really music? Are you or are right. you, are you constructing the performance? See, I think the difference here is like. Y- before we wrote music out, you know, and people read music nowadays we don't need to do that because recording is so accessible it's like why do we need to written music We we'll just we'll just play the the you know the recording
2: yeah so. and and um I think that's something you and I were talking about last week at lunch was that um when you what, what I think we've lost in the musicianship, and i'm not saying there aren't great musicians today i'm certainly not saying that i'm just talking about what we've lost is now I don't need to be a good musician. I don't even need to be able to play in tune, right. and I certainly don't have to be able to sing in tune. I can fix it. But That same person can't go on the road, or they have to use tracks,
0: or and they use they use uh, pitch correction on the road too, which I've seen. They, yep, they use auto
2: tuners on the road as well. And I was I was going to get to that's that.
1: the downside of it. You know, it's like I said. You know, the good news is anybody can make a record. That's right. The Bad news is anybody, anybody can, can make, make a record. record. Right. That, you know, so it's a, it's like everything else. You know, technology has a. A, a good and bad side to it. And I, I, a friend of mine that's a songwriter out in LA, You know, we have this conversation all the time. He's a little bit still stuck in the, the mythical past of the music business, which no longer exists. For instance, he's making CDs. <laughs> uh... <laughs> and I'm going, John, what are you gonna do? He gives me these CDs, I go, well, what do you want me to do with them? <laughs>
0: The only thing that a CD is good for now is, <laughs> is when you play a gig and if you're an originals band, you hand them that CD and you don't charge them anything for it. You just hand it to them so they right. walk away with something. Yeah,
2: once exactly. flash drives come down cheap enough, yeah, it's the almost, ones that, are, that are, you'll be able to give those out and, yeah. and CDs well, will they be tried, a thing.
1: Uh, Techmon had a thing about that. There was a format they tried, uh, like mini SD yep. album, yeah. and it didn't work. Yeah, for some reason. Yeah, I'm not maybe sure the, why. Maybe the thumb drives will. I, I don't know because I mean obviously CDs. Who the hell can even play a CD anymore? I know. You know I mean even computers are starting to come with no drives.
0: You no, know? I, yeah, No, I feel it's, dated.
2: I know. See Dave, you're old too. Uh, <laughs> you're yeah. not that welcome, old. Welcome, welcome to our world. He's in his 30s. Yeah, I'm, thir- I'm that,
0: 33. That business,
2: that business is. He's long. 33. Oh, man. I have. I could have a kid hit his age you probably no, do have a kid kidding. my age no i have a kid that's 24 well I no time. that's I was, not, that, I was married that's the legitimate one
0: was, that's the legitimate
2: one <laughs> yeah i know i was married nine years when she was born if i'd have had a kid when my our parents thought that kim was pregnant i would have a 33 year old and i'd have been in my 20s when i you know so all right son yep. tell you that's
0: you're not I'm you're not my father jim I'm your father. No, you're not.
2: <laughs> no. No, I've I haven't been to Chicago <laughs> since the eighties. You weren't born in the eighties, were you? Um anyway, early eighties. My your parents were my, my she mother like? was not
0: here in the eighties. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm not telling no, but, you where no. either.
2: I was in I was in San Diego. Yeah. As well. Nope, not there.
1: No, there's the confession right there. yeah <laughs> You kinda of look alike a little yeah, bit. You of, no, no, no. I got the same weight no. issues. I'm way too old, so I'm out. No. Yeah, yeah, no it wasn't me. I guarantee. You.
0: If you're the reason I have Crohn's disease, then we're gonna talk, Jim. Yeah, no, that one doesn't no. My kid had my kid's
2: sixteen, he had uh what do you call those? Kidney stones. So it's bad enough. Oh, uh, screw that. You know, but you'll
1: get something. Not I've never had it. it. When you
0: get old, you'll get something.
1: Yeah. Something, not just one thing either. You know, yeah. Get, you get more than one. At least five things. Five,
0: yeah. you know. Five, five, six yeah. at a given time. <laughs>
2: so if people want to, as guitar players or as musicians as a whole, because you obviously play a lot of different instruments, um, what do you recommend people look at? I mean, everybody wants to be that rock star. Everybody wants to be what Iguana got the girls at the pool and the, and the cocaine and the, and the pot. Matter of fact, I got to tell this, this is a true story. So Thursday night, I, these guys haven't even heard this yet. This Thursday night I'm playing out. We, we did a, um, a thing and this guy came up to it and, and he was like, Oh, I've got a club, blah, blah, blah. We don't pay much, but we do play. We do provide lights and everything. All you got to do is bring your guitars and amp head. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And, um, he goes, you know, I don't pay a lot, but, you do get free drinks, and if you if you like it, you know if you want, I can get you some. I can score you some good weed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my God!
2: <laughs> so that sounds pretty good. <laughs> I was like, okay, so we've got a Navy doctor, another guy that works for the government, a, a t- school teacher, and a. The- and there's only one guy in this band that can get smoke pot and get away with it at work. <laughs> so he'll be all right. The drummer will be fine. The rest of us might not How want I need that security clearance. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's just funny. This
0: is 2018, and a guy offered to give us a little pay. And well, meet. no, that's why they're giving you pot now, because hell, it's going to be legal in another two or three years. I mean. Yeah, I can just, I can just put
1: it in the fridge and. Well, say it's I, I don't I, know what you're gonna talk. I got a taught. text from my, my buddy back home when I was flying out here, and and uh, he was pretty worried. Because, you know, I mean, it's legal in California; it has been for medicinal yeah. for a long time, and that was pretty good because you know you get a prescription and you know yeah. all that stuff. And then I think it was January first. I might be wrong. I think it was January first. Right. Recreational, right? But July the first, they I didn't even know about this. Somebody told me about it. They passed some kind of law where every dispensary has to test their product before they can sell it. So they had a fire sale the day before July the 1st. Oh, yeah. They were giving the stuff away because if they didn't get rid of it, they had to just literally throw it away. And then all of a sudden, my, my cousin Leroy, he he's like, I got a bunch. He tells me that, you know, the prices have gone like through the roof oh, yeah. since July the 1st because now they're having to pay to test all this stuff. So on one side it's like, well, I guess I feel good as a consumer knowing that my stuff is tested and I'm not smoking some crap that's gonna kill me, Right. you know? But do I wanna pay 65 bucks for what I used to get for 30? Yeah, exactly. Well, do I wanna live in a state where you can even get it versus a state where you can't? Yes. So, I mean, you know, it's like, it's kind of good news and bad news, you know, with that whole thing, but it's just so stupid and it's so old and arcane and dumb. To to make a plant, to to villainize a plant yeah. that way, does
0: so, it doesn't really have any worse effect? You know. It has less effect than alcohol. Yeah. Oh yeah. But my whole thing is, uh, so I don't, I've never smoked pot or anything like that. But but <laughs> I do have my money invested in it. I have, I am, I'm waiting yeah. for the legalization. I got, I got stocks. So. All right.
1: <laughs> You're one of them conglomerates.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I got a cousin who um, I got a cousin on my on my wife's side who actually runs a dispensary in uh, Colorado and oh, has been doing wow, it for a number man. of years. So um, he knows all about the business of it. And, and yeah, uh, yeah. So. well, they made a lot of money out
1: there. In fact, I heard they've got too much money. The states collected too much money. They don't know what to do with it all.
0: He was like 18 or 19 years old and he bought his first car in cash. Oh, yeah. yeah. A new car. Okay, he bought it. He bought a Subaru WRX in cash. <laughs> wow,
1: that's so, pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, everybody will catch up at some point, but as with everything else in this country, you know the the cor- the corporate industrial whateverness of it all will you know ruin it to some degree. And, of course. Yeah, you know, that's exactly you, what happened out there. there.
0: They got they got heavily regulated and stuff. So um, that's why the business is uh, the business side of it is actually a skill. Cause you yeah. can't. I mean, you have to have clean suits and everything else to do it, and it's the whole thing. But anyway, um, we're hitting our hour and a half mark. Jim, are we yep. winding you? Yeah. Down here? So,
1: yeah, yeah. I think. Um, do you have anything you want to? Well, you were going to ask me I have some kind of advice, but about something, but I don't know what it was. <laughs> uh, so, some advice on on uh, to anybody that's getting into this business. Oh yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah you yeah. know, what is your what is your um, one well, thing to say? Well, I think what I said before. You know, really think about what you want to do. Don't don't make it vague. You know, like, well, I want to be a musician. Okay, yeah, well, what kind of musician do you want right. to be? You know, focus. I think that's a really important decision because where you go from that point on it's not a one-way street really but the contacts and the world you live in might be there might be some big walls you know like when i was in nashville reporting um kenny and some of the people that i was working with down there kind of pulled me aside not to toot my own horn but they said man you could make a fortune if you stayed here and just did sessions playing bass because norbert putnam was the only guy in town that really was any good right. there really weren't very many good base players and you know um dylan and danny fogelberg and some of those guys were like the first rock guys in nashville and so you know you you got the rhinestone guys right and then you got these rockers kind of sneaking in here you know so kenny and these guys were telling me hey man you should really think about you know like letting these guys go do their thing you stay here and play bass. you'll make a lot of money yeah. and i realized you now in retrospect had i done that I would have made a lot of money yeah a lot more than i made staying with the band Yep. so i you know it wasn't a wrong decision necessarily because there really aren't any wrong decisions right good and bad ones you know but i think i probably would have stayed there if i was presented that again i would probably say okay that makes a lot of sense because i'm good enough and there's a lot of money here and nobody's making it you know but that's the kind of thing a musician i think you need to think about like what do you want to do you want to be a songwriter well you need to spend your time working on how to write lyrics how to write melody lines how to be creative you want to be a session player you need to get your chops up you need to study hard you need to learn how to read for sure yeah if you don't know how to read don't even try to be a session player glenn campbell got away with it yep because he was really good, but the rest of those, like
0: Zappa, well you know Zappa wrote everything out, like the Black Page, you know that song right? Yeah, there were very few people in Zappa's band that that didn't read, there were were a couple of of people that actually didn't read that went through Zappa's band, but very few of them.
1: Tom Fowler, I know Tom, and he used to, he had to memorize his stuff, and uh, Ainsley Dunbar, those guys I don't think they read, but Um, they had to memorize every single thing, and I mean
0: the next day, right?
1: Holy cow, you know So, I mean, if a session player, you've got to, you've got to work. I mean, it's really work and it's not fun. You know, there's not going to be groupies yelling for you on the side. Nobody knows who the hell
0: you are. I mean, even when you're on stage, it's like.
1: If you want to play, you know, a band like a touring band, you know, maybe, um, well, you know, Blood, Sweat and Tears or some of these bands that are out there where there's one or two surviving members, like for instance, Right. right? Right. Well, they've got good bands. Um, and those guys are good, but they're not somebody you really know, Right. but they're right. getting paid. You know, they're on the road. They're making a living. You want to do something like that? Well, you know, you've got to be good enough Absolutely. To, to cut it, you know, and Absolutely. you've got to learn the material. You've got to be flexible. you got to be able to go out and, and go on the road and live on the road. It's not easy. I mean, we had very limited time on the road, and, and the time we had was either insane, crazy, potentially dangerous. Or, <laughs> or, or all of these above. And I'll tell you the truth, I didn't like it. I really did not like it. I'm a studio guy all the way, and I love to be in a studio. That's where I feel at home. So for me, like, if, if somebody came to me at a young age and said, what do you want to do in music? Now, knowing what I know now, I'd say Studio Cat. Yeah. Of course you are, no question about it. Yeah. You can keep live stuff, you know. So I think uh, a musician starting now now, songwriter, singer-songwriter is probably the one where it's more ethereal. And less mechanical, and less work as far as like what it takes that you know it takes to be a session player. You know what it takes. It takes really a lot of work. Yeah, it's grueling. Songwriter, who, it's hard to explain where that comes from. You know, yeah. people ask me, and I've seen other songwriters say, "Well, how'd you get the idea for that song?" And the answer usually is, "I have no idea." Yeah, it just popped into my it head. Just popped into my head. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's feast or famine territory out there, and. But it's the most fun, and you know, you can if you want to really trash yourself on drugs, um, that might be a good way to get ideas. If it's possible. If that's your thing. You know, I really like to get high an and play music. Well, maybe you should be a songwriter. You know, yeah, exactly. It's like Lennon and McCartney. You don't think maybe they were a little bit, you know, out there. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be my advice: is figure out kind of what you think you want to do before you start. You know, but any of it to to be at a level where you're going to make a living or be anybody you got to really understand that it's not as easy as it looks no and these guys who you see at the like michael jackson for instance frank zappa all these guys they are so top shelf of the top shelf of the top shelf. it's you i mean you just there's no comparison to your average guy down here absolutely and you're not there and that's who you're competing for, you know, so be realistic about it and realize that, You know, if you're going to get up there, it's it's a tough road, man. Or else be a plumber. Yep. Yep. Everybody
2: needs a plumber. <laughs> yep. Have a fallback plan. You might be, uh, as as in Anvil's case, you might be delivering pizzas. Until, um, until
0: you're in your 50s and then yeah. <laughs> get that call. So.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you worked for a newspaper. What other kind of stuff did you wind up doing there? Uh,
1: I worked for a a newspaper for a while, um, selling advertising, which was kind of cool because I had a lot of music stores as clients. Right. So I got all kinds of deals. Um, I did that. uh, I sold sound effects um, out of a Hollywood studio. It was an Academy Award. I got to hold an Oscar. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's like, it could weigh a lot. It's (laughs) like 16 pounds. And uh, I did that, and I worked for Disney for a little while, and uh, selling uh, stuff for Disney. Boy, what a company. It is (laughs) horrible. And I worked in San Francisco for a uh, high-tech software company. Um, They hired me to be the sales manager for virtual reality three-dimensional software, and I could not turn a computer on. <laughs> <laughs> and I told the guy, I said, why in the hell? Do you want, I, can, I don't even know how to turn on a computer. He says, well, I can teach you how to turn on a computer, but I can't teach people how to sell. Like you right, know, so right.
3: So I mean, yeah.
0: That's a good people. point.
1: So I did that for a little while, and I worked for the television studio for a little while, and um, I worked at home, and the last job I had was... Um, Doing weddings as a wedding efficient because in California, if you've got a pulse, you can be a minister. Right. And by just applying uh, online. Yep. So I applied to the Universal Life Church. I also became a monk because I wanted this, this plaque, you know. Yeah. And, and I lost my plaque. I don't know what the hell happened to it. So I live like a monk. I might as well get the damn certificate to go ah. with it, right? So uh, so I I got my minister card. I still have it. And uh, I, I started to
0: become ordained. You know? I was gonna-
1: it's great. It's great. You know, you work like 15 minutes, make 300 bucks, get a bunch of champagne and food and go home. Yeah. Sounds good to me. It's
0: awesome. I'm going into that one. <laughs> yeah, to- I-, I was going to become a Here, your Bible. I'm in. Don't
1: I'm even do that. I just send them a book and say, pick out the ceremony you want. And then I look at it as a voiceover. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. <laughs> and i just look at it like a live voiceover you just read it with some you know like a radio voice yeah yeah everybody comes up and goes man that was the best wedding i've ever been at I'm like, yeah i know and now (laughs) welcome to julie and jerry's wedding perfect perfect gig for a musician yeah because you work 15 minutes on saturday yeah
0: (laughs) you don't even have to worry
1: about your saturday night still open no you can still play guitar No, you get up on stage afterwards
0: and you're playing in the wedding band (laughs)
1: <laughs> the DJ is still there, and the photographer is still there yep. long after you leave. They're still—they got to stay around for the whole damn thing. Yep. And you know, of course, they're making good money. But you know, I don't want to lug any gear or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I just give me my little book, and everybody's, its so funny because they're all in their best behavior. You know, I used my moniker was Reverend Don. Reverend Don. Reverend Don. And oh, Reverend Don, and everybody—no one would curse. No one was saying any bad words. Everybody was just like so tender with me, like I really was this guy, right? And I'm going, like, if you only knew. No, I was just gonna say, if you only knew. <laughs> but I don't do anything now.
2: The deep dark past. I just the uh, Reverend Don.
1: I just hang out, you know, and I I got a I've got a new pedal stool guitar and I'm yeah. playing that, and uh, I work on some some, some stuff and. So me and the iguana guys did a new song, which is on the the website I told you about and on YouTube, called "Working on the Sinin." (laughs) Oh, working on the. Working on the sinin, and it's pretty good. So uh, I'm having fun now. Yeah, I'm finally at the stage of life where I'm just having a good time, and uh, I'm enjoying being with my sister here, seeing you guys, because I see like every year I come back and um this is you know just my we can have you
2: on again on next year yeah, you can tell us the stories that you haven't I'm had still around to.
1: next year <laughs> maybe i have some, some new stories for you we'll see how, see what happens all right well thanks
0: everybody yep i've been jim and i've been david and i'm don reverend don <laughs> the rev and the rev. we have been the practical guitarists all right